what's going on everybody welcome back to another episode of dq with Danani. i'm your host Danani Mater. i'm glad to be back delivering you the best news and lifestyle info that this sport boxing has to offer now i'm not sure if you guys saw last week's doubleheader event we had aj versus franklin in the afternoon here on the eastern seaboard and we also had Robesi Ramirez winning a world championship matchup against Isaac Dogbe. Both of those fights were amazing. Nothing too special to scream home about since we had two unanimous decision victories. Let's start with AJ versus Franklin. Really, a lot of people are doubting that AJ can perform at the top flight of the heavyweight division with his performance against Jermaine Franklin. Me, personally, I have to disagree with that statement because he worked excellently off of that jab. A lot of people are saying that he was one-dimensional. I disagree fully. Not only did he shoot the jab, he shot the cross directly afterwards. On several occasions, he just threw the cross naked and it landed clean. I'm not sure what fight Dillian White saw, but I don't think he's qualified to talk since he got knocked out by Anthony Joshua, not to mention getting knocked out clean against Tyson Fury. So his credibility only really stems from the power punches that he's eaten. I don't think he's qualified to speak on whether or not his performance was was necessarily quality because Anthony Joshua didn't fight him the exact same way. it's, It's really just coming down to the game plans varying constantly between Anthony Joshua's fights, which I did speak on last episode. Anthony Joshua, he has a different sense of preparation depending on what fighter he's going to take on next. Obviously, a shorter fighter, he's going to want to work more behind that jab. If he's fighting somebody who's eager to land those power punches, he's obviously going to want to trade if he has the ability to do so. And against Jermaine Franklin, he did not have the ability to trade with him because, of course, he watched some film on him. Now, a lot of people were expecting Anthony Joshua to fight the same old way that he's fought against past opponents. But, like I just said to you guys, everybody prepares for every fighter differently because no fighter is the same. You can't make the argument that Andy Ruiz and Jermaine Franklin are similar fighters. They might be similar fighters in stature, yes. But, when it comes to their style of fighting, they are not the same. They are not. Therefore, the game plan for each fighter will be different. I don't know why people are under the impression that Anthony Joshua was just going to come out throwing bombs against him. He needed to maintain the distance. He needed to prove that he still has control of the ring, which he has had trouble doing with both Alexander Usyk and Andy Ruiz. He really proved himself in that outing. So I really just don't understand why there's so much negativity swirling towards his performance. And Franklin felt like he was going to hit him. He would sort of like climb up a bit or whatever and then he was landing a lot of single punches you know like trying to stay safe okay hold that it was he was doing enough to keep franklin sort of in his box you know what i mean yeah as you can hear there there's just a lot of doubt surrounding anthony joshua now mostly because it seems like he didn't get the knockout victory that a lot of people were expecting but It was still a worthwhile performance. It was still a performance worthy of saying, hey, this guy is still a dog. This guy can still 
walk through the waters of a 10 of a 12 round fight. There's no reason that there should be people saying that Anthony Joshua, he's he's lost his negative edge when there's really no signs of that. There was still power behind those punches. He's still a smart and intelligent rangy fighter, and he knows how to use his size and his reach to his advantage. Now, in terms of what comes next, that's really the question that has to be answered. In his post-fight interview, he did call out Tyson Fury. So, it, it really seems like DAZN wants to build that Tyson Fury fight, obviously, since Alexander Usyk and Fury's fight has fallen out a multitude of times over, quite frankly, just stupidity on Tyson Fury's side, calling for 70-30 splits, saying that he's ducking him when it's really just Tyson Fury and his team who aren't willing to negotiate fully. It just seems... It, 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 it's really giving the impression that Tyson Fury wants to take lower class domestic level fighters instead of taking on the competition that the world has to offer, international competition. He wants to fight guys who are just coming up, budding heavyweights who are still trying to make a name for themselves internationally instead of really trying to unify those belts, which should be the main priority as WBC champion regardless. Now, whether or not Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury actually get that fight made remains to be seen. In my opinion, I'm always going to keep it straight with you guys. From the perspective of a fighter, I do not think that fight gets made yet. There's Deontay Wilder. There's Joe Joyce. There's Daniel Dubois. There, there are so many other heavyweights who, are, who, who could, quote-unquote, be a factor in the division but haven't necessarily had that massive break yet. Like I've already named Daniel Dubois, he has a belt. Obviously, it's not the standard WBA belt. He has the WBA regular, which is still a world title in its own right. However, he is still a power player. There's people counting him out when you could make a mega fight between him and anybody else in the division who has a belt, which would be Alexander Usyk or Tyson Fury or even Anthony Joshua. I don't see a fight between Anthony Joshua and Daniel Dubois not getting made. Both sides want to continue their upward trajectory. Both sides want a belt. There's no reason that a fight like that shouldn't happen. But obviously because of boxing politics and the way that Tyson Fury is, is currently approaching these fights getting made, the way that he's handling business, the way that he's been carrying himself online on social media, it really gives the impression that, like I said, he just wants domestic guys. So, a fight between Anthony Joshua and any of those guys that I listed outside of Tyson Fury would definitely be a worthwhile fight for both the fans and for the business. I have faith that a fight between him and Tyson Fury can be made, but the likelihood of it happening and actually getting inked on paper is very low. Next, more news regarding Connor the Destroyer. Ben, you already know this is my guy. After all the drug controversy, after all the craziness regarding those tests, I am happy that my man is reinstated. I am happy that my man has his ranking back. Yes, sir, he deserves it. At the same time, he went to the people who control the testing. They have reinstated him in the rankings. The commissions are happy to license Conor Ben to move forward to fight because of the process that he went through with the WBC. Now, there's talks surrounding him and Chris Eubank Jr. again. And I'm excited that there are talks surrounding these two men. But the British Boxing Board of Control is once again at both men's throats. 
Conor Benton's already said that he doesn't want to fight in England anymore. It's not worthwhile. Not to mention the fact that the British Boxing Board of Control is repeatedly just trying to make the situations with him getting another fight at home difficult. They really do not this. They they just are making fights and contractual obligations extremely tough on Conor and his entire team. Whether that's reasonable or not, that's up for you, the audience, to decide on your own. I've already spoken on it on this show. I do not agree with the British Boxing Board of Control or Robert Smith or any of the people affiliated with them, especially since the WBC has already said, let's let bygones be bygones. This man is back in the sport. Now, with those talks between the two men accelerating at a pretty quick pace, they want to get that fight done down in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia is a hotspot for boxing right now. A lot of the Saudis are extremely interested in investing a lot of money into the sport, which makes me happy. But the British Boxing Board of Control is saying, hey, Chris, if you want to fight down there, we're going to have to approve you first, which once again puts the fight in jeopardy. This is the fight that all of the fans in not just England, but some in America who are boxing curious, who know their history, who know their stuff in the welterweight division, want this fight to happen, but the British Boxing Board of Control, being the bad guys like they have been for the past few months surrounding this controversy, don't want anybody fighting Conor Benton, especially the guys who are under their jurisdiction. Now, they are saying that Chris Eubank, because he is a licensed fighter under the British Boxing Board of Control, and his trainers, coaches, cut men, etc., are all licensed under the British Boxing Board of Control, they are not willing to let those guys leave the country and fight Conor Ben in Saudi Arabia, which really just screams insecurity. They they're they're really just scared that Conor Ben is going to get his hands on this man and he's going to hurt him. Whether or not they have faith in Chris Eubank Jr. it has yet to be seen because even when the fight initially was was postponed, it wasn't canceled yet. It was postponed. The British Boxing Board of Control stepped in and they were like, "Hey, this fight can't happen." Despite the fact that Eddie Hearn, Connor Ben, and the rest of the team involved with this event had pretty clearly said, we want this event to go on. We don't care about what you guys are saying. But since they are the supreme power regarding sanctioning, they had to obey. Since Connor Ben relinquished his license with the British Boxing Board of Control and has decided to pursue fights elsewhere, he is completely free. He's free of them being down his neck. He's free of them trying to say that he failed tests. He's completely independent of them now. The main issue is that Chris Eubank Jr. is still licensed under their sanctioning body, which makes it extremely difficult when it comes to international fights. The same thing applies to fighters who are signed to the American Boxing Commissions. They, they don't want their fighters taking risks internationally without them saying, okay, we'll give you the green light. Now, whether or not I think this fight is still worthwhile for both men, I most definitely still think that this is a money grab. When the fight was first advertised, it was all about the legacy. Connor's father, Chris's father. Boxing fans in Britain and boxing fans around the world who know the story of both of those men, the legend of their rivalry, understand that this fight is big. It is a major fight. Even though it may not necessarily be for a world title, it's on par with fights like Tank and Ryan. There's no reason that you can look at this fight and say, 
ah, this fight's going to be boring. Ah, this fight isn't necessarily the best fight that we could make at this point in time. When it is, Conor Ben is currently in his prime. Chris Eubank Jr., despite his loss to Liam Smith, is still arguably in his prime. He's really been gunning on big fights. He wanted Triple G, obviously, that can happen now that he's lost. But since Conor Ben is offering him the opportunity to come back and spin the block, this fight has the potential to once again boost both men's popularity and put them in a position to fight for a world title in each of their respective divisions. Shakur Stevenson, my boy, is up next. He has a date with Yoshino. Obviously, this isn't the, this really isn't the fight that everybody wanted. I spoke on the mandatory situation with the WBC. They mandated that he and Pitbull Cruz fight in order to determine the next number one contender. Obviously, this didn't come to pass because Isak Cruz ducked. Let's let's face it. I said it on that episode. I'll say it in this episode. Isak Pitbull Cruz ducked Shakur Stevenson. Now. I don't understand why he ducked him, but we do know that he ducked him. And his father completely corroborated that. His father was not interested in the fight whatsoever. And we know that this fight would have most definitely put both men on the map. Either to fight Tank or to fight the undisputed champion, Devin Haney. Shakur Stevenson, he's really had a collection of great performances. His last opponent, Kensosau, obviously he couldn't knock out. He took him across the distance comfortably. He didn't really have much trouble with him. He just made him look bad. Like most people would say that an opponent who is hard to hit, an opponent who's on the bicycle, similar to Emmanuel Otego, there there are guys who really just make you look bad, especially if you've had a streak of excellent performances, a streak of excellent knockouts. These guys are going to make it extremely difficult to look good across a 12 or 10-round stretch. Now, obviously, Shakur Stevenson, he had a – issue with his weight, knowing that he decided to move up to 135 pounds. And since he's been at 135, he hasn't been able to secure a big-name fight that would have otherwise given him the right to fight Devin Haney. Now, I believe that this fight with Yoshino will most definitely put him in a position to fight somebody like a Frank Martin, to fight somebody like a Roley, despite the fact that Roley is obviously fighting at a title of 140, he's at 140 against Arguello for a WBA championship. He could always come back down. He's, he could make the decision like Hector Garcia did. Fight at one weight, get a title at another weight, return to that weight, see if you could test the waters, get another belt at that weight, become a two-weight world champion. But obviously that hasn't come to pass for Shakur yet because he hasn't had those opportunities presented to him. Now... Whether or not I believe Shakur is on the trajectory to reach a title, he most definitely is. A lot of people are saying that, oh, Shakur hasn't fought anybody. Oh, Shakur. He was literally almost an undisputed champion. So the fact that we are even entertaining that level of conversation is completely absurd to me because I have seen that on social media several times. People are saying Shakur hasn't fought anybody, Shakur isn't worthy of this opportunity. Shakur isn't anywhere close to fighting the guys in the top 10 when he clearly is ranked not just three, but also number seven. I believe he's also ranked 
number five in one commission. So across the four major bodies, Shakur is favored pretty highly to be in the mix within his next one or two fights. Aside from that, the fact that he had a mandated fight by the WBA and his mandatory opponent decided to duck him says enough about Shakur's position. Once somebody's scared to fight you, similar to a David Benavidez, you know that you're next. You're definitely next. When guys are scared to sign that contract, you know that you're up next. There's no reason that there should be a sense of doubt, a sense of, oh, this guy isn't going to make it that far. When he very clearly is being ducked by the other top guys in the division, when people don't want to take those risks, despite the fact that there is a high reward waiting at the end of that risk, it, it, it pretty much just paints the picture for everybody involved like, hey, this guy is gunning for that championship. I may not win this fight. I'll wait for the next guy to fight him, and then whoever wins, I'll fight the winner of that. Which isn't even in, in the conversation for Pitbull. He just completely turned the fight down, leaving Shakur just hanging in an awkward position at 135. He's doing a lot of talking on social media, but nobody's signing contracts. So it really just seems like Shakur is just out of luck at this point in time. I do really want him to win against Yoshino so that he can realize those title aspirations. We really just have to wait for the two major fights right now at 135, Lomachenko and Devin Haney, which is happening May 20th. And then we also have to wait for April 22nd, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, because those two fights will most definitely set up the future of the lightweight 135-pound division. Now, this weekend, we have Sebastian Fundora taking on a opponent for a 154-pound belt. I believe that this is for his interim championship that he has held on to since the Lubin fight. I am not entirely sure. We can go ahead on BoxRec and check that out right now. So I was correct. The WBC Interim Super Welterweight Championship of the World at 154 pounds. Obviously, Charlo still holds the full belt, which is causing problems for pretty much everybody in the division at this point in time. But we still do have the prospect of this man, taking on Brian Mendoza in a 12-round fight. Not even on pay-per-view. We're getting a good show for a non-pay-per-view fight. This man, Fundora, like I said to you guys earlier, his performance against Erickson Lubin was absolutely amazing. Not only did he get dropped, he dropped Lubin twice, turned this man's face into the elephant man. He had Lubin's face swollen. So regardless of whether or not you're a Sebastian Fundora fan, you have to admit that this man is must-see TV. He is fight-friendly, TV-friendly, boxer-friendly. He has six-foot-six, insane reach. I mentioned this to you guys before when I was speaking on the matchup between Caleb Plant and David Benavidez. When you have a fighter who is too big for the weight class, you have a fighter whose arms are just about as long as his legs. He's able to just toy around with opponents in a weight class where guys are like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, guys are just average height. You're dealing with a guy who's six foot six with reach that's just unheard of. What can you do? Erickson Lubin tried his best to fend off the attack, but there was just no way for him to continuously maintain the offense that he was 
at the rate that he was with a gas tank that was slowly dwindling as Fundora was attacking him to the body and the head. So whether or not Brian Mendoza, 21 wins, two losses, he's only had two in his last six that have been losses. I don't think that this fight is going to go the distance. He can, of course, pull the massive upset. There's always a chance for an upset. But in my opinion, I believe Fundora will take this fight comfortably. Mendoza is coming off of two back-to-back knockout victories. So when we say that this fight has the potential for fireworks, we mean it. We most definitely mean it here at DQ with Damani. <laughs> but this weekend, like I said, please be on the lookout for that fight. I believe there are a couple of minor cards going on at the same time. There's just too much activity that isn't being honed in on when it comes to these minor shows. So once again, like I always tell you guys, please get out and watch those game. Excuse me. Game bread uh, fighting just had a pretty decent card with Roy Jones Jr. And Pettis, obviously Roy Jones Jr. got robbed, but that's a story for next week's episode. Once again, we have reached the end of another week of DQ with Damani. Thank you so much for choosing this podcast for your source of weekly news and lifestyle in the beautiful sport of boxing. Like I mentioned to you guys already earlier, Sebastian Flandora is taking on Brian Mendoza for the WBC interim Super welterweight championship of the world. Please keep your eyes open for that fight. There are a couple of different cards beneath that that are minor. Please keep your eyes open for that. If you have any local shows that may or may not be in your area, please watch or stream those. I am very, very much looking forward to seeing Sebastian Fedora back in the ring. Great showing from Anthony Joshua. Great showing from Andrea Macy Ramirez. Closer and closer and closer to take my wrestling fight. Thank the Lord the boxing gods have blessed us with this. Once again, I am your host, Jelani Mater. Be safe this weekend. If you're going to go out, drink responsibly. If you don't drink, make sure you drive safe. Other than that, be safe and God bless.